Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at thedistrict.church. So, for those that don't know me, my uh, name is Dwayne, one of the lead pastors here, and uh, welcome. Happy Valentine's Day. Uh, some of us love this day, others loathe this day. And I think for the rest of us in here, it's just a gentle reminder to show a little bit of appreciation to the spouse that puts up with you every year. And so, um, so welcome. It's also an appropriate day for us to uh, dive into a new series, uh, which is really uh, kind of a little love story nestled in a really dark time uh, in the Old Testament. So we're going to be walking through the book of Ruth over the next uh, six weeks. So four chapters in six weeks. And so it is a lot of text that we're going to be covering, but it really does read like a story. And so we'll, we'll be able to kind of move through it um, quickly, if you will, um, as we kind of just walk through the life of Ruth. And, and today specifically is not necessarily going to have that kind of Valentine's feel to it, uh, because really as this sort of dives in, as it, as it jumps into this, uh, this book, it's, it's, it's not a good start. It's not a good start. And so we're going to kind of get the, the dark and depressing side of it. Come on in, Healy's. we got some room up here for you. Putting you on the spot. I'm going to, I'll usher you in. It's all good. Um, and so anyways, you're welcome. I can do that. We're close. Um, but anyways, yeah, it, it's not going to feel all lovey-dovey happy today. So we got to kind of start with a, a, a rough end. And, and I really titled this sermon, um, Necessary Endings, New Beginnings. Necessary endings, new beginnings. And the big idea, the main thing that I want you to take away from this sermon today is this. For good to start, bad must end. For good to start, bad must end. And so you'll see me kind of flesh that out here in just a minute. But we're going to be in Ruth, chapter 1. We're going to start off in verse 1. And the way that I'm going to kind of walk through this book is read a chunk of passage and then kind of revisit it and then read a chunk and then revisit it. And just kind of flow through it as if I'm literally just kind of commentating a story that is unfolding for us. So starting off in chapter 1, verse 1. Here we go. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. Very strong Klingon-style names. <laughs> I knew it. I knew one of you guys would get that. Uh, they were Ephrathites from the Bethlehem, from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives, and the name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Kilion died, so that the women, the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. So first off, the, the thing that I want to show you here in this context is the context of Ruth is we have a famine. All right, so if you were to literally turn back one page, you're going to be in the book of Judges. The book of Judges is providing for us the context for this passage. And what I mean for a free-for-all is in the context of Judges, you have no king. All right, so the people are literally living however they see right or fit in their own eyes, and they're doing whatever they want. So there is no subjection to a 
king. There is no subjection to the Lord. There is no living out God's design on the earth. It's, it's whatever they want to do, they're just doing it. So if you were to take kind of like a spring break and Mardi Gras and throw in like Hebrews gone wild, like that's kind of what you're dealing with in this context of the book of Judges. And that's where Ruth really kind of finds herself is in this context of just a free-for-all in the land. They think it's going to lead to uh, life and pleasure, but ultimately leads to slavery and death. And so that's the free-for-all of the context. The second thing I want you to see here is they enter in a family. Okay? So they are in a family. Most of us, we don't understand the context of a famine. We know what it is to feast. We don't know what it is to be in a famine. But they found themselves in a famine literally to the, to the point of starving to death is where they're finding themselves here. Now, where are they? What city are they in to begin with? Just read it. Well, before we get to Moab, what city did they start off in before they moved to Moab? Bethlehem, all right? Any church scholars in here, what does Bethlehem stand for? House of bread, nice. House of bread, all right? So what they're dealing with in a famine in Bethlehem would be like us going to Costco and not finding any food, all right? Like it's, this is where God's provision lands is literally the house of bread. Bethlehem is known for a place that is flourishing, where God's provision is there, God's people are there, God's presence is there, but yet they're finding themselves in a time period where God is restricting his provision, right? He's restricting his provision. Now, one thing, sometimes what we need to do, we need to ask a question when God is restricting his provision. Is this because of a consequence of sin in our lives, that God is restricting a blessing or restricting a provision for that we're literally going through a time of pain, is it because of a consequence of sin, or is it because of just God's will in our life? And in this context, it's because it's a consequence of sin for the people. All right, They are, as I said, free for all. They are living not in subjection to the Lord. All right, So what he is doing is he is providing for them a season of pain in order to keep them from a lifetime or an eternity of great pain. And so God does that with us at times, especially when it deals with sin. When we're doing what we're not supposed to be doing, he might allow for there to be a season of pain for us to bring us back to him so that it keeps us from a greater pain, from, a, from an eternal pain. And so that's what we're seeing here in this famine, is that's what's going on here. So there's the free-for-all culturally, there's the famine physically, and then that leads to the third thing I want you to see, which is their failure. There's failure. First by the dad, Elimelech, and then by the two sons, Malon and Kilion. Elimelech literally means, God is my king. That's what his name stands for, God is my king. But he doesn't live like it. He doesn't live like it. It's kind of like for us that say, Jesus is my Lord, but we don't live like it. We don't live like it. That's what we're dealing with here. He, he doesn't subject himself to the will of God. It says he walks away from the will of God. He's not living under the will of God, but rather is moving away from the will of God. And so what does he do? Elimelech makes a decision for himself. He makes a decision for himself. Now remember, he's with God's people, and he is with God's presence in Bethlehem. However, he's looking at the current circumstances of a famine. No food. No opportunity. Maybe he's lost his job. Who knows? 
And what he's doing is he's looking at Moab and he's saying, you know what, the economic structure over there looks a little bit better than what we're dealing with here. And so based on that alone, he makes a decision and he moves to Moab, moves his family to Moab. But he doesn't ask the question, is God wanting me to move my family to Moab? Is God calling me to move my family to Moab? And what we'll actually see here is that Israelites, in the book of Deuteronomy, it's forbidden for them to move to Moab. So again, Elimelech, what he's doing is he's rather looking at his circumstances, making a decision based on the circumstances, rather than ultimately the will of God. That's his first, first failure that he makes. Not leading his family. Now you might ask why. why. Why the Moabites? Why are they forbidden from being able to go there? I want to give you a little bit of detail about the Moabite people. It's only about 30 to 50 miles away from Bethlehem. Right, so back in this context, it'd be about a one to two week journey through the desert to get to Moab. Now, the Moabite people do not worship the God of Israel. They do not worship the God of Israel. Rather, they actually worship um, a demon god called Chemosh. Right, Chemosh, which actually means destroyer or subduer. So this is the god that they worship. This is what their religion is, and what that actually. Kind of, I mean, because whatever you worship is what you become. So if they're worshiping a destroyer and a subduer, the context or the culture of the Moabite people is that they are very destructive and that they are also engaging in a lot of sexual sin. Engaging in a lot of sexual sin. And another interesting thing to understand from the Moabite people and why it's forbidden for, for God's people to go there is they are actually descendants from a guy named Lot. All right. Now, many of us probably in this room know of the guy named Lot, but we know of him only for uh, escaping from Sodom and Gomorrah and then seeing his wife turn to a pillar of salt because she turned and looked back when God said, don't do that. Most of us, that's all we know about Lot. But Lot is a guy with a lot of problems. All right, He's a guy with a lot of problems. Problems just tend to follow him wherever he goes. A relative of Abraham. Abraham's the great grandfather of the twelve tribes of Israel. Abraham's a big deal in our Bible. All right, Lot has issues. Issues so much so that as he's kind of separating himself from Abraham, he ends up living in a cave with his two daughters. And while he's living in this cave with his two daughters, he has offspring. All right, that's all I'm going to say about that. He has offspring. Now, of these offspring, the, the first son that was born to his oldest daughter, he gives him the name Moab, which comes the Moabite people. So these people were literally birthed out of incest with huge fa- uh, family dynamic issues. And so you think your family has issues. This family has issues, all right? And so out of this comes the Moabite people. And what God is saying to them is this isn't a, a racial issue of why you cannot go to be with the Moabite people. This is a religious issue. This is a worship issue. This would be very similar to us saying or asking the question, is it okay for you to marry an unbeliever? You would say, no. I hope it's a little more emphatic than that. But it would be no. Why? Because the Bible forbids it. God tells us, do not be unequally yoked. And so we want to make sure that we as As husbands, this again is one of his issues, is he's allowing for his children to eventually intermarry with unbelievers that are not in the lineage of Israel at this point in history. It has nothing to do with race, 
everything to do with worship. Right? And so he's not leading them well. This, again, is one of his biggest failures. Another big failure for him is the fact that he moves his family, and he moves his family without asking a few questions. Right? Are they going to have a community there for my wife to flourish? In biblical community. Are they going to have a community there for my children to flourish? Is there any churches there for us to worship in? Like in this context, where was all of that? Back in Israel. All right? God's presence was residing in the temple. They had access to be able to go there. God's presence is also um, being taught through the Bible when it comes to synagogues. That's kind of the Old Testament version of churches in this day and age. So that's where they had access to that. They had access to... Uh, literally, the training of their children from the age of 5 up to like 15 to 18 in order for them to become rabbis if they wanted to. In this context, he's moving them away from their ability to be connected to what God has provided for them, not only in provision, but also in worship. Moving them away from that. And here's the thing. What Elimelech did only was provide financially. Like him moving to Moab was only to provide for his family financially. That's an issue. Growing up in the deep south, men like this were a dime a dozen. This is true. Men like this were a dime a dozen. I mean, the, 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 the number of, when I was a youth pastor for about seven years, the number of mothers who would bring their kids to church, and I would never know the name of the father. Would never see him grace the doors of the church. Never see him interact in their children's lives. But what he did do, I put food on the table. I put clothes on your back. I put a roof over your head. What more do you expect of me? And unfortunately, but fortunately, the Bible does expect a little bit more out of you than just providing financially. So this was really important. One of the things I love right now is a recurring conversation with my son, Ezra, which is great that Adelaide is in this room as well. Um, but a, a recurring conversation Ezra has with me is this. Hey, Daddy, when, when I marry Adelaide, and, uh, and <laughs> when I marry Adelaide, I'm, we're going to buy a house, but we get that house can you text me when it starts? Because right now, you bring me to church, and, and you know what the time is and when the day is, and so, but when we have our own house, I'm not going to know those things, so will you text me? And so that's big, because again, I'm not just helping to provide for him financially, physically, whatever that looks like, but it's also at least up to a point, he's seeing the fact that we value this that we value community, that we value relationship, that we value biblical teaching, that we value worship through song, that we value prayer, that we value all of these things coming together in order for him to be able to grow up and become the godly man that God has designed for him to be. We need that in his life. All right? It's not just going to be what happens in our home, but it's surrounding him with the community that helps mold and shape him to hopefully become that one day. That's what we want. Fortunately, that's what Elimelech failed to do, failed to understand. So much so that his children fall in his footsteps. 
like father, like son. Malon and Kilion are not great names, actually. They're not good Klingon names. You know what they stand for? Sick and dying. That's what their names stand for. Sick and dying. And it's because the father removed from God's presence and God's people. The father chose that. I'm going to remove you from God's presence and God's people. I think one of the greatest decisions my father ever made for me was deciding that our family Baptist church. Care if you're Baptist or not. Great church place. Because it set a trajectory in my life here and for eternity. And that was a choice that we made. I didn't make that choice. He made that choice. Literally, he was just driving down the road and he just pointed. He said, We're going to go to that church. Now, I hope you do put a little bit more investment into how you decide where you end up landing, but, but that one worked out for us, God's provision. Now, you might be wondering, I thought this book was about Right? Like, I thought we were going to be talking about a faithful woman here. And we will get there, but as a warning to the men, to also see the how God brings about redemption from the greatest thing you can they, they can then attack. So that your family relationship with him. So what did Malon and Kilion do? At the point in which they were able to marry, Moabite women. Very women within the family of God that are chosen uh, people of God. So they would need to go to Israel in order to find them. Here's the thing. How far was that journey again? One to two weeks. One to two week journey. Not a hard ask. Right? Not a hard ask. But yet they chose not to. Here's what the Bible says about God's people Moabites in Deuteronomy 7.3. You shall not intermarry with them, giving their daughters to their sons, or taking their daughters for your sons. What's that? Just don't do it. Now, here's the reason, the Bible, this is the reason why they were marrying Moabite women. Because they were attractive. Plain and simple, they were attractive. And I know we've got some single guys in our church, um, and, and I love that. I love that we actually have a growing number of guys coming in. But here's the thing. Just using the excuse that she's hot, not going to work well. My point, hell is too. <laughs> Just don't do it. All right? Like, we want to be obedient to what God commands of us. Here's another consequence that was given to them. Deuteronomy 20, verse 3. 
No Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the tenth generation, none of them, none of them may enter the assembly. Here's what God's saying. Guys, don't marry those gals. If you do, Four hundred years taking this. Lech failed. Gilead failed. We got the free for all. We got the failure. And Why do the funeral? Legacy. Years they have not served. Not worshipped God's people. They've not sat under the tree of God's people. They've been separated from God's presence and God's Now Elimelech dies. They have no children. Therefore the Why did they go to Moab in the first Live. What happened? They died. They died. Walk in God. Walk in disobedience. Death, despair, and destruction. Walk in faithfulness to God's will. After. Not just about economic. About spiritual. Not just where can I get the most question is, where can my flourish? Like, did not those things husband other sons Moab not in Israel no other believers other believers there There's literally no one there. Found herself alone with her daughters in law. Another failure actually four of those failures. The fact that there was no plan. They if something happened to them, what are we gonna do? How are we gonna make sure that they how are we going to make sure we No plan. Biblical calling on the men. Proverbs 13.20 goes so far to say that it's godly for a man to have an inheritance for his children. children. I mean, that's not just saying. It's like enough to be able to say. That is a decision that is That's a decision. You have to face 
presence and peace were over here. Oh, and said, This isn't working. It does is life flourishes in the Let's go to have a nest. rose with her daughter. It heard set out from the place where daughters and mothers. They went on their way to return. But Naomi said to her two daughters and mothers, Go return and May the Lord deal kindly. So they said, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back. Son, my womb, that they may become your husbands. Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore were grown? Would you therefore refrain from? She's, she's in so much hardship and pain and is now believing that the Lord is caught drug and kissed her mother-in-law but Ruth clung to her and said see your mother-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods now that's important to be able to see that her sister has gone back to her people and her God literally now becoming or is an ungodly woman. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God. See the difference here in sisters? Or sisters. <laughs> One is saying, I'm going to return to my gods, that is worshiping not the God of the Bible. That is leading to destruction and sexual sin and all of those things. Giving herself over to that. While the other one is looking at Naomi and saying, I'm not only committing myself to you, but I'm committing myself to your God. This is the conversion moment for, for Ruth. This is an important moment. And it's also coming at a great moment because Naomi is not the best evangelist, right? Like she's literally telling them, go back to your gods and your people. My God is causing me pain and causing me harm and, and not providing for me. And he's making me. 
I would not use that evangelistic tactic when you go and try sharing the gospel with people. But in this moment, God's sovereignty wins, and Ruth commits herself. And here's what we have, the necessary ending. For good to start, bad must end. What Naomi's trying to have here is a closure conversation with her daughters to go back to the Because she might not know what awaits for her when she gets back to Bethlehem. And even though that's important, I think what's even more important is the fact that Ruth, by faith, is coming to a land where she knows she's not welcome, she's never been before, and has no idea what's awaiting for her. That's huge. So let me ask you a question. As you see these women having this necessary ending in order for good to start, what in your life, I just want you to reflect on this before we continue on, what in your life needs a necessary ending in order for good to start? And what I mean by a necessary ending does, does, doesn't have to be something, you know, superficial or, like, what is something in your life that is causing sin? And it's not leading you to the Lord. It's not leading you to flourish in who God has called you to be. It's not helping you surround yourself with the word of God and with prayer and with community. What is keeping you from that that needs a necessary ending for good to start? Pick it up in verse 19. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. So again, this is about that one to two week journey for them to reach God's people and God's presence. Now, I do love you. I do appreciate you. I think our church would struggle if we had to go a week or two to get to worship. Just being honest. I know the last few weeks we've even had a question, can they drive in these conditions to get here, uh, knowing it's going to be about a five to ten minute drive? These women make a one to two week trip to get to God's presence and God's people. They made the trip the boys were not willing to make. These are two women now, widows, going through the desert in a time period when it's a free-for-all. No law enforcement to help them out. They were in need. No 911. Complete free-for-all. Two-week journey in order for them to get to God's presence and God's people. And to be under his provision. When they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Naomi, is that you? That's my translation. She said to them, do not call me Naomi, which means sweet and pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I can just picture Naomi going to the, to the DMV. DMV is what it's actually called. Indiana calls it BMV, and you're the only state in the entire United States that calls it a BMV. It's DMV, all right? Just saying that out there. Um, but anyways, I can see her going into uh, that place to update her life, saying, my name's Naomi, but I'm going to be changing that to last name, middle name old, first name bitter. And that's what we're dealing with at this point with Naomi. All right? She's a bitter old woman. 
And I'm not going to say that in like a <laughs> disrespectful way. It's what she's feeling. It's what she's dealing with. Here's what she says in verse 21. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. She went away full when it was in a time of famine. Think about this. She's being moved when she feels full when everyone is starving. Why is she full? Because she's with God's people in God's presence. Add that again to the failure list of Elimelech. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. But who's he blaming? Like, I think she should at least give some blame to Elimelech. But she keeps bringing the back to God. And that's what sin, that's what sin does. When we're out of God's presence and out of God's people, let's just refer to that in our context. When we're, when we're out of church, if you're out of church for 10 years, you're out of the community of God's people for 10 years, when things come in your life that's a consequence of sin, you don't blame yourself and you usually don't blame the person who is sinning against you. You just start blaming God. That's what we do. That's what sin does is we push blame. You see that in the Garden of Eden, right? It wasn't me. It was that woman you gave me. You come to the woman. It wasn't me. It was the serpent that came in here. I couldn't help myself. Sin makes us dumb and it makes us push blame on Specifically, we blame God. So Naomi returned. And Ruth and the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her. Who returned from the country of Moab and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Now this is a good time to return. This is a good time. Barley harvest in this context is springtime, all right? We love springtime, especially in the Midwest, because things have been dead. We love spring. And so Bethlehem, now you've got the flowers blooming over the Bethlehem hillsides, and you've got the barley harvest, which means first fruits, all right? So it's, it's literally, and barley was the first seeds to be harvested during this time. And so they would bring it in, and they would have celebrations, would have festivals. They would, it leads into the festival of unleavened bread, which also leads into the feast of first fruits. And so you're just having a time which people are getting what? Full. Full physically, culturally, full because it's God's presence, because it's, it's looking to that time when they can celebrate the Passover. All of that is happening. But the thing that I want to tell you here that begins to connect the most important aspects of the book of Ruth is her connection to her descendant, Jesus Christ. Where else is first fruits mentioned in the Bible, specifically New Testament? In 1 Corinthians 15, you'll see Jesus mentioned as the first fruits of the gospel, which means the good news of the gospel of God bringing us into his family. Jesus Christ is the first fruits in which we taste and feast of for fullness and satisfaction of life. So as they're coming in, I mean, this is just the divine narrative of God and really just rigging all of history by having them have a necessary ending where you can literally picture repentance, where 
uh, Ruth had her eyes on Moab and her back on God. And then all of a sudden she has this repentance where she turns and she turns her back on Moab and her eyes on the Lord. And she's moving towards him. And as she's coming in, she is then getting to experience the first fruits of the land. Just as we get to experience as we come into the family of God, the first fruits, which is Jesus Christ himself. And the timing of this also coming into Passover is the foreshadowing of this all happening because of Jesus Christ going to the cross and sacrificing himself so that we might be able to have this interaction with the Lord, that we might actually be able to be in God's presence with God's people unashamed of 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 what we've done wrong or the sin that we have come from or the family dynamics that we've come from or any of those things. We don't have to worry about that. Ruth right here is not experiencing any shame of where she's come from, but is experiencing the fullness that is there in God because of what she's experiencing as she's coming into the house of bread, the family of God, God's presence finally. This is huge. This is one of the biggest moments in the Old Testament. God is bringing someone who is far from him into the family and not only bringing her into the family, but is going to make her a big deal in the family of God. So that when we get to Matthew and we get to Luke and you start looking at the lineages of where Jesus came from, you'll see Ruth. And that is so important. Because the Bible in this, in this day and age, first century, women have no value. Women have no value. But in the Imago Dei, they absolutely do. They absolutely do. And so God is bringing literally who we would consider the least of the least subhuman and bringing her from her country, from her demon gods, from her demon worship, bringing her into his family and allowing her a place in the family. And not only that, but it's going to be a pretty huge place in the family. It is an amazing moment for her and Naomi to stop, pause, take a deep breath among God's provision, his people, and his presence. And for them to begin to see something that maybe they haven't seen, at least for Naomi, she hasn't seen it in 10 years, and Ruth maybe ever, they start to feel hope. Maybe there's a chance for us to live. We've only been saved by death. Maybe now is an live. For good to start, bad must end. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. We thank you so much for what you are teaching us in this story of Naomi and Ruth. God, we thank you for the example that we see in the failures of Elimelech, Malon, and Kim. My prayer for the men in this room is that we see those failures and we do something about it in our lives. That we make sure that our families are covered in the community of God. That they are in your presence. And that they have opportunity to and that they have access to your word and that they have access to other believers and that, that we just make sure that it's more than just physical comforts, 
but that is spiritual investment. Lord, I pray that as we continue walking through this story, you would just show us that regardless of our circumstances that are going on around us, that we can sit and trust that you will provide. That you will provide. And that we're not going to try to take it into our own hands. But that we just give ourselves up to your will. That we subject ourselves to your will. Submit to your will as they were not doing in this time period. We trust you, Lord. We hope this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at